Hey, Merry Christmas, everybody. It's great to see you. Welcome here. Thanks for spending a bit of your Christmas with us. We're so glad. Uh, when my first son was born, my wife's labor was, was 23 hours before he was born. And uh, that was really hard for me. Um, it's hard to be supportive, a supportive husband, for 23 hours straight, you know, like intervals, kind of, kind of more closed frame, time frames kind of work better. That, that was intense. That was a lot. And then when my second son came along, we kind of anticipated, well, it's going to go a lot like the first. And so we thought we had quite a bit of time on our hands. But our first son was born in Abbotsford. We were living there at the time. Our second son, we decided that we would uh, have him delivered in Abbotsford as well, even though we were living in Chilliwack. So we waited about an hour or so uh, during labor, and then we got in the car and we drove to Abbotsford. Uh, labor beginning to end was two hours, and it was pure chaos. And uh, that was really hard for me. So, uh, actually, this is a true story. From time to time, there's a conversation that happens in our house where I am told uh, ways that I could have done better uh, in both of those scenarios, and she's absolutely right. That, that, that is very, very true. Uh, some of the older dads in the room are like, what are you talking about? You wait in the waiting room, and then the nurse just comes and gets you once the baby's been done. No, 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 that stopped a long time ago, and, uh, and uh, actually, um, that was not the case at all for Mary and Joseph. So picture this with me. Um, Mary and Joseph are up in Nazareth, and they have to make their way down to Bethlehem, and Mary is nine months pregnant. That trek is 145 kilometers. It's, it's pretty much here to Squamish, walking, nine months pregnant. If they were lucky, somebody lent them a donkey that she could ride and he could walk beside. We're talking about five days, 30K a day is likely what the journey would have been like for them. People a lot of times refer to the great miracle at Christmas, which is the virgin birth. I also like to say that there was a second miracle, and that was that their marriage survived. <laughs> like, that's incredible. Getting to Abbotsford by vehicle, believe me, was intense. That, that is something else. But I was, I was doing some reading, and I love the way that one author put the scene, the, the birth that took place in Bethlehem, because I think it's so vivid, and I think that's helpful for us, because it's not very Christmas cardy. It's not very, um, you know, the manger scenes that we create uh, sound a lot different than this. So I just want to paint the picture a little bit. In Bethlehem, the accommodations for travelers were primitive. The Eastern Inn was the crudest of arrangements. Typically, it was a series of stalls built on the inside of an enclosure and opening onto a common yard where the animals were kept. All the innkeeper provided was fodder for the animals and a fire to cook on. I don't know if you can believe this, no continental breakfast. That was their situation. But listen to this, on that cold day when the expectant parents arrived, nothing at all was available, not even one of those crude stalls. And despite the urgency, no one would make room for them. So it was probably in the common courtyard where the traveler's animals were tethered that Mary gave birth to Jesus with only Joseph attending her. 
Joseph probably wept as much as Mary did, seeing her pain, the stinking barnyard, their poverty, people's indifference, the humiliation, and the sense of utter helplessness, feeling shame and not being able to provide for young Mary on the night of her travail. All that would make a man either curse or cry. If we imagine that Jesus was born in a freshly swept county fair stable, we miss the whole point. It was wretched, scandalous. There was sweat and pain and blood and cries as Mary reached up to the heavens for help. The earth was cold and hard. The smell of birth mixed with the stench of manure and acrid straw made a contemptible bouquet. Trembling carpenter's hands, clumsy with fear, grasped God's son, slippery with blood. The baby's limbs waving helplessly as if falling through space, his face grimacing as he gasped in the cold and his cry pierced the night. The Son of God was born that day, not as a prince, but as a pauper. And this is where Christianity began and where it's where it continues to always begin. This is where Christianity always begins, in the mess. In reality, in the difficulty, in the pain, in the deep sense of need. And our God is a God familiar with all of those things because he stepped into human history in the midst of all of those things. He came into those circumstances for you at Christmas. Now, the story goes on. And we hear about these shepherds keeping watch over their flock by night. And that sounds really lovely. We can picture Linus from the Peanuts cartoon, the Charlie Brown Christmas special, reciting that. And we just think that's wonderful. Here's the thing about shepherds. Um, there, there was only one category lower than shepherds uh, in society at that time. And that was lepers. So, so shepherds were at the bottom, and not only that, Bethlehem was a nothing place, but they were keeping watch over a flock by night outside of Bethlehem. It's like I go to somebody and say, hey, you know where Lake Erock is? And they're like, no, no idea. I'm like, okay, well, the guy's in the bush beyond Lake Erock. And they're like, who, where, right? And that's exactly the point. These shepherds were nobodies in a nothing place, and yet what we see in Luke chapter 2 that's been read for us tonight is that an angel showed up to these shepherds. Let me read it for us. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, a rescuer, a deliverer, who is Christ, who is the Messiah, the anointed one, the Lord, who is God himself. And when the angel says to these shepherds, these nobodies, I bring you good news, it's literally, I bring you the gospel. I bring you the gospel, and it will bring you great joy. So what's the good news, and how does it bring us great joy? But before we get there, I just want to show you this. What we see about the shepherds is that they're unlikely people in an unlikely place, and here's what that means. This news is for everybody. This news is for you. If it came to shepherds outside of a nothing town, it is here for you to receive as well. And you need to hear it. So the shepherds go, just like the angel told them. They'll find a baby 
wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger, and they find Jesus there. They tell Mary and Joseph, and they're all in awe. They're marveling. They're wondering at what God is doing. But the reality is this. Israel itself was was not expecting a Savior like Jesus, right? At the barnyard, around animals, the Messiah, the Savior, the rescuer to us is laying in a feeding trough for animals. Listen, Jesus was not the Savior they expected, but He was the Savior they needed. And I don't know about you, I don't know about your life, but a lot of us have been chasing a Savior. And when we come and and we hear about Jesus, He's not the one we expect always. But can I tell you this? He is the one you need. He is the one that you need. We read in the story about Caesar Augustus. Let me tell you a little bit about him. He was the son of Julius Caesar. And it was Augustus who turned the Roman Republic along with his, his, his dad following suit, turned it from a republic into an empire. With Augustus now as the head, he proclaimed that he had brought justice and peace to the whole world. And he declared his late father divine and likened himself as the Son of God. And he was referred to as the Savior of the world by the people. He was its king. He was its Lord. And people increasingly referred to him as a god. Meanwhile, far from Rome, a baby was born who would be hailed the Son of God with followers who would see him as their Savior and Lord and whose arrival brought true justice and peace, not by the sword, but in an incredible way of bringing it into the world. We read in Luke chapter 2 that it says, in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Here's what's going on. There is this man who likens himself a god and is the ruler and most powerful man in the known world at that time, and God uses him as a pawn so that he can bring Mary and Joseph from Nazareth down to Bethlehem so that a prophecy hundreds of years old that the Messiah would come and be born in Bethlehem could come true. See, that is the difference between Caesar Augustus and Jesus Christ. God was able to use Augustus to prove his purposes and point to the real king. And the birth of this baby boy is the beginning of a confrontation that's been going on ever since between the kingdom of God in all its apparent weakness and significance and vulnerability and the kingdoms of this world. Within a century in Rome, those who followed Augustus as emperors would try and obliterate all Christians in the Roman Empire. Within three centuries, the the emperor himself would become a Christian. The baby who was placed in a manger that first Christmas was already being spoken of as the true king of the world. Now, like I said, they expected a Messiah different than Jesus. They expected a Messiah who would free them from the tyranny of Rome. But Jesus came for an infinitely greater purpose, to free them from the tyranny of sin. And Jesus came to free you from the tyranny of sin. Now, this is a story 
that is recorded history. That's what Luke is trying to do here, record history, and it is history. It's more than history, but it's certainly not less than history. But when it becomes more than history to you, that's when it becomes good news. When it becomes more than history to you, that's when it becomes good news. Jesus came and died for you. It's personal. And that's when it becomes good news of great joy. Listen, Jesus really came into the world to make you right with God. And he can really come into your heart even today, this Christmas. The Jesus who was born in Bethlehem at Christmas can and must be born into your heart. I'll grant you this. Most days, I bet you can get through and do okay. But you and I both know there are a few days where you're troubled with what's going on right here in you. In the church, we call that sin. It's like, what do I do with this? How is the burden on my back ever going to be lifted? That's what Jesus came to address. And most days, you can cruise around your neighborhood, you can live your life in your city, but there are certain days where you look around and you go, man, this world is broken. And what could ever fix it? Jesus came into the world at Christmas to heal it, to heal you, to free you. And so over here, we have these candles that represent the, the great movements and themes of Advent, of hope and peace and joy and love and light. So here we are, Christmas Eve. Some of you are hoping for a very particular gift this Christmas, aren't you? A particular present. If you don't get it, man, your joy is going to be fleeting, Right? But even if you do get it, in a few weeks, your joy is going to be fleeting. That's what always happens. Many of you are going to have a family meal, getting family together. If you're just getting everybody together for a meal, there likely can be peace. <laughs> you may experience some peace. But man, if your family are staying over for a few days, man, peace is fleeting, is it not? And so my point is this, there is a hope and a peace and a joy, I'm missing these up, and a love and a light that is not fleeting, and its name is Jesus Christ. And so when you will allow the history to become personal to you, that's when it becomes good news of great joy that can never be taken from you, that is yours. And what it does when you let Jesus enter in is it fills you and it transforms you. It changes you now and for forever. My greatest hope is that you would invite Jesus in this Christmas. In a couple of moments, I'm going to take this flame from the Christ candle, the white candle, and I'm going to start in the corner over here and, uh, and then I'll work my way up to, I'll go up to the balcony, I'll start it in the corner up there. I don't want any Dutch folks getting out their own lighters and starting it in random places elsewhere, okay? <laughs> All right? And so, because here's why. <laughs> this is going to be a visual. Everyone's welcome here. That's just for fun. <laughs> for me, for me. Uh, we just want to visually see what happened at Christmas. 
Jesus came into the world and light pierced the darkness and then it pushed, it's always ever since pushed its way out, all the way out. And so we just want the flame to work its way through. We're going to sing a couple carols and then uh, we'll close our time tonight. Just before I pray for us, I just, I just want to wish you the very warmest Christmas. And from everyone here at Central, I, I mean that. And so thank you for spending some of it with us. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you so much for coming to rescue. Emmanuel, that's you, God with us. We praise you for Christmas. We praise you for coming to save, to rescue, to restore, to heal, to bring hope, to bring peace and joy and love. Ultimately, not not the fleeting kind, the true, deep, lasting rich kind. Thank you that you came to shepherds in a field in the middle of nowhere. There's a point to that. This news is for all. Oh, Jesus, I pray that we would hear it with our ears. I pray it would sink into our hearts and we would believe it. We would love you. We would trust you and we would respond to you this Christmas. We thank you, Jesus. Amen.